Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, everyone. I'm, well, it's obvious. I'm John Verhoeven, and I was a cop back in the 80s in Sydney. And I'm Paul Verhoeven, John's son. I'm an author, and I wrote two books about Dad's time as a cop. The first five seasons of Loose Unit spanned my time in general duties, forensics, my time as a firefighter, and even my stint running a funeral home. This season we're visiting the locations of Australia's most notorious, baffling, horrific crimes and looking at what happened there. From Snowtown to the family, from the Morehouse murders to haunted highways, this season of Loose Units is your go-to guide to the worst crimes in Australian true crime history. Welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Hello and welcome to Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Last week, Dad and I began our investigation of The Mutilator, a killer from the 1960s in Australia. Dad and I have talked about The Mutilator on and off for quite a while now. Um, We've been doing this podcast for, God, years, and he keeps coming up as a sort of apocryphal figure. If you missed last week's episode, go back and listen, because it is a two-parter at this point. Although we keep going through the case files and going, is this a three-parter, four-parter, five-parter? Is this all we talk about right now? This is a truly labyrinthine case. This is a deep well And we are now up to talking about the third victim at the hands of the mutilator. As you may recall, the first two victims were... Dad, how would you describe them? Uh, The victims? Yeah. Well, there's a common thread. And that will become more apparent when we discuss the third victim. Yes. But it was happening in a certain area of Sydney that was dodgy. Yep, early 60s. Um, Um, Early 60s. I mean, Darlinghurst Police Station, where the infamous... Mm. RR worked. RR? Roger Rogerson. Well, you just said it. Why give an acronym if you're just going to say it? Because some people, I like to help people. And Darlinghurst slash King's Cross Uh has, it's just, it's a certain... It's a a colourful area, yeah. And, you know, it's just, it's a weird area. And for people that haven't been to this area... I mean, you've got the district courts, you've got St. Vincent's Hospital, which is an, an extraordinary hospital that just deals with so much stuff. I mean, honestly, it's it's like a, a Saturday night around here, and it's always been like that. And, and there are so many pubs in the area. And don't forget, listeners, that back in the 60s in, in Australia, there, women were not allowed in pubs. Did you know that, Paul? I did not know that. It mm. does not surprise me, but I did not know that. They did. They 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 had they had a certain area. 
Hang on, didn't didn't no? One of the victims was actually he was at the pub with his wife and kid. Yeah, but that would have been in a special area, and women were only allowed to have shandies. What's a shandy? It's a combination of beer and lemonade, and probably they call, it, it, they call them shandies. They call it Lear or Beminade. Anyway, so look, it was just a different time, and they used to have what was called last drinks. So the men and a lot of the bars back then mm-hmm. were basically just tiled, um, and I'm talking floor tiles, then running up the ceilings, up the side of the bars. It was all tiled. Can you imagine, hazard a guess as to why everything was tiled in the pubs? Easy to clean? Correct. They just hose, hose them out, and they had spittoons. You know about that, don't you? Hang on. It, let's, let's not over-egg the whatever. I mean, it's the 60s. It's not the fucking 1760s. Spittoon is not a... Hey. It's not the high Wild West. Paul, I, 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 I'm telling you that spittoons, um, an offensive piece of paraphernalia, might I say. Can you imagine looking into a spittoon and just seeing hundreds of gollies in there? And change the subject. Sorry, mate. But look, that, I think they were used up until relatively recently. And of course, now when they, when they don't have them, people go outside and spit, which is offensive, of course. Um, so I'm just trying to paint the picture of a fairly... It's just a... It's, it's weird. So, Dad, I'd, Dad, I'd like to just quickly apologise. I'd like to apologise to you enthusiastically and um, grovelingly. Uh, there's an account here from somebody who saw a spittoon in a bar in Sydney, Australia, 1968. Wow. But this was a, he said this was a saloon. He said he was on R&R from, um, from Vietnam. Does that make sense, era-wise? Mm, yeah. I guess yeah. it does. Yep, yep. Yeah. And um, so... Look, well, I, guess, I guess what I'm saying is you were right, I was wrong. No, it's okay. But look, it's just a weird thing and it's just terrible. Imagine the poor guy that had to clean the spittoon. Disgusting. So they were sort of like an abattoir, basically. Just you'd well, get in there with a high-pressure hose. Speaking of abattoir, we are dealing with some truly gruesome murders. We are. Uh, just proper butchery. Hmm. And much like an abattoir, the body is being bifurcated in some pretty confronting ways. The hmm. last victim, if you recall, as I said, was last seen alive at the pub with his wife and kid, and hmm. he was trashed. And they basically left him, and then he was found in the public toilets we discussed last time. That's right. Somebody else has pointed out on our Facebook group that, in fact, these photos are available elsewhere. There's actually a book that was published uh, about the mutilator, and there are some of these crime scene photos in mm. that in that book. Interesting. Which I, which I find a little confronting. Anyway, mm. so the last victim was found on his knees, arms behind his back, and he had been, as the, as the name suggests, mutilated. The mm. third victim, the 31st of March, 1962... Mm. Could you could you talk us through this, Dad? Okay, so we have to assume at this juncture that the killer, or killers, unknown, but of course, this particular person, what happens with crime, particularly if it's more than one, so there's a, you sort of get this pattern, it's a little bit like, um, you know, thrill killers, sexual deviants, mass murderers, um, stalkers, night stalkers, yeah. they can satisfy their desires. They can try and suppress them. They can commit a crime. It can be an incredible sort of, you know, sexual release. And then sort of everything calms down. But the gap between these gaps always tend to get shorter and shorter they as do. the person needs to kind of chase that 
Rush yeah, and join fix. Yeah. Chase the Dragon. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Okay. So a couple with their baby mm-hmm. are walking through the streets of Darlinghurst. Okay. Um, to be specific, Burke Street, very famous street in Darlinghurst. I know Burke Street very well, yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah, there's the Burke Street Bakery and lots of great things now. But It's a lovely, it is a truly bougie area, but I can't imagine how sketchy it would have been back in the early 60s. It would have mm. been pretty, yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty scary. And this couple, it's around about 10 to 11 at night, yeah. obviously very, very dark. And they're walking and they see, the husband sees a, a sort of a silhouette of a figure lying on the road with the head propped up against the gutter. And back in the 60s, look, even if I was to go into that street tonight at that time, it'd be really quiet. There would not be a lot of traffic. But take yourself back to a time when very few people, relatively speaking, had motor vehicles. So the timing was perfect. It's very, very dark, very, very poor street lighting, which is important to consider when you're going to commit the crime because you don't want to sort of commit a crime like this under a street light. So again, we go back to darkness is your friend. And the husband sees this silhouette and by chance a car comes past and the car's headlights illuminate the body. And at that point... The husband looks down and can see as he approaches that this person, and this is really scary, this is, this is a very interesting turning in the story. We know that the previous victims were mutilated when they were dead, post-mortem, which is of some comfort. How do we know that? They just... just from I, a forensics perspective, how do you actually know that? Well, that's a great question and something that I haven't really focused on. There will be people out there. Um, we have quite a few forensic experts that will be able to sort of look into that. And we can look into it another time, Paul. But My, my guess would be that uh, there wouldn't be free blood flow once the body has actually already died as opposed to... Uh, it'd be something to do with... That's with, a good point. That, I think, yeah, yeah, great point. Um, but this particular person was mutilated whilst alive. How do we know that? Because when the husband approaches the the body yeah he's breathing he's alive he's unconscious mm. and he, he he goes over to the car he runs to the car and he says look can you please get you know an ambulance and the police get them ur- urgently i'm just trying to think how you do that because no mobile phones so you'd probably look for a telephone box of which there were quite a few and they were, though they were well lit back in the day or he may have just simply gone to Darlinghurst Police Station. Uh, when the husband... So you can imagine his wife and kids sort of a, sort of kept back from the scene. He would have sort of turned around and sort of shouted, don't, don't come any closer. This is just, you know, I'm sort of ad-libbing here, but I can just imagine what any normal person would do upon looking at this terrible sight. And he realised terribly that, again, all his genitals... His penis, scrotum, the whole, you know, uh, the pubic sort of area was all gone. And then what he did notice that's quite sort of scary is that there was a blood trail. So clearly 
the murderer, once mm. removing the genitalial genitalial oh fuck <laughs> so traumatic. The genital oh fuck. Genitalia? <laughs> oh god. Yeah, that whole region. Yeah. Um, it, like it sounds like we're talking about the wine region of the Barossa. Um he he's carrying the penis away. And Hang as on. he is it not logical to assume that he cuts the penis off and then drags the body? Are you saying there was a blood no, no, trail no. from... No, no, Yeah, the body was never moved. The bo- what, 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 oh. What's happened, Paul, is that the murderer has come across this particular person who was so intoxicated, so inebriated, because he'd spent the entire day, they found out later, at the pub, and he was one of the first to leave... Sorry, one of the last to leave the pub. Still and the, He was still alive. And, okay... Fuck, that's they stressful. Fa- but they find out through extensive police interviews that from the the moment that the the husband found the still living person yeah. lying in the gutter with his his scrotum and everything gone, uh, from that from that point where he was seen lying in the gutter to the going back in time to when he left the pub was only thirty minutes. Incredible, isn't it? So he was. My my theory is that he was he was a target and he was stalked. I don't believe that the uh, because there's that common thread in terms of the type of people mm-hmm. that and there was always alcohol involved. It and also that it wasn't just his, if I recall, it wasn't just his abdomen. He was also, I think, what really killed him was the fact that he was he'd been stabbed in the head and the neck. Mm. Um, and apparently, a lot of the blood splashes that were around weren't just from the abdomen; they were also from because if you hit an artery, the pressure kind of sends the blood spraying out in almost comical fashion. So basically, he had been... I think he was kind of holding his hand over that, trying to... You but, know what I mean? Keep it, keep it from the end. But also, Paul, the victim had his whole face. He'd been smashed and kicked. Like basically had the shit beaten out of his face, yep. as per all the terrible bruising. And he, he had a tooth missing that they realised had been taken out by the offender, which is interesting. I'm going to It's interesting guess. because... Sorry, go on. Well, I just feel as though perhaps sometime in the future, this is sort of speculation, is that, you know, if and when they do catch the offender, I'm, I'm thinking maybe he, he does have a wound on his fist because it's a... It's a, it's a oh, I you know, see. As in punching and then breaking a tooth. That's, that's just a... That's sort of a theory I've got. But. All right, so if the guy's going... Yeah, okay. So the, I know there's defensive wounds, in which case you can kind of tell, you know, there's, there's all kinds of traces there. But you're saying if this guy was going in so hard that a tooth broke off on his hand, that would mm. leave a pretty distinctive mark. I think um, so. I think so. So the way we're talking about the wounds on the third victim, the way we're talking about... I'm going to go ahead and say to listeners, uh, he died. And the, the reason they were able to get such forensic information is because they were dealing with a dead body. I believe he was dead by the next morning. Is that correct? Look, he actually died that evening. Okay. In fact, when the police rocked up, he was deceased. Right. So he was alive when the, uh, okay. the, the husband coming home from the party. Uh, at that point, he was uh, unconscious but breathing. And by the time he came back to the scene, the husband, there were lots of police around, they discussed, and he, he was dead. But interestingly enough, the blood trail from the, the genitals being carried away from, from the body, yeah. clearly, I, I guess there's only a finite amount of blood inside your willy. What is, uh, uh, 
in terms of it's not going to drip forever. There's a spot on the road, mm. meters from the body, where it's clear the that the stops. dripping stops. Now, he yes. may have put it in his pocket. I don't know. But also, and I think this is its a minor point, but it's quite interesting, and this is what sort of led the police off on... Because they, they went on many, many tangents. Yeah. But... You can, you can relate. Well, one of the things is that... Thanks, Paul. One of the things is that... Um, the proprietor of the hotel said that when this gentleman left the pub, he had half a bottle of wine in his pocket. Now, that's interesting. Bearing in mind, we've only got a very, very short time frame that this crime was committed. There was no sign of the wine, which, which makes you think that the offender not only took his willy away, but also, funnily enough, something that also starts with a W, and that's wine. Isn't that fascinating? Hmm. It's kind of weird. Yeah, he, it is a little bit. He yeah. would have taken it to drink it, more than likely. So it's very, very interesting. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It seems like... The, with these three victims, one of the common threads was drinking. I mean, it's possible that he was drinking with them. Uh, it's possible that, mm. you know, I, I, that feels like there's a, there's a thread here. Correct. Um, okay, now, so... So yeah. later on in the morning, mm-hmm. some unfortunate fingerprint guy, being there, done that, would have gone down to the morgue and used his morgue spoon and... He would have cleaned the hands. He would have prepared them. He would have inked them. And he would have then taken 10 impressions of the 10 fingers. He would have then have gone back to the fingerprint bureau. He then would have classified the fingerprints. He then would have done a search, a manual search. Yep. And, of course, as 
as is a common thread with all the victims, they're all known to the police. But for minor offences, drunken, sure. disorderly, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were vagrants, basically. They lived in boarding houses. They, they, but this particular guy, his name was Frank Gladstone McLean. He was only 36 years of age. And he resided very close by. And right. Dad, did they find... Um did they ever find the man's uh, penis, scrotum, whatever? No. And did, did they did no. they find a, did they find any kind of weapon at all? Or no, they found no knife, no they, nothing. Right. They they drew a blank, and they were getting really really desperate. And you know, the detectives, the pressure, the, the public, the media, the media, it was a media frenzy. The media were mm. doing sort of these these caricatures of, of this this knife wielding guy. And one of the cartoons, not a, not a cartoon, sort of a, I guess, a, an artist's impression mm. of the offender. Um, he's he's holding this this maniacal sort of handful of you know of the guy's genitals, and in the other hand, he's got a knife. And and in this particular picture, sort of this artist's impression mm-hmm. of the third murder, they've actually it was just terrible, and they've sort of highlighted have you seen the picture paul it's really quite terrible I, it's- I haven't seen it i know the exact kind of thing you're talking about dad just quickly you mentioned before the uh the tooth because i know this street i know the area and uh there's sewer grates and gutters and all kinds of places that things could hide so they've done the search for the weapon they've done the search for the genitals they don't find that what they do find is the tooth so it's found off to one side uh, obviously, there's a lot of blood around mm. it, and it's been broken off. So they find wow. they find that. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, the police. I'm, I don't want to sort of give too much away here, but I'm going to throw a tiny, tiny little, maybe possible hint about something really interesting. Okay. And that is that. And if you look back and think about this, it kind of makes sense. And. I'll read this message from the police. And it was put out on the 1st of April, 1962. It says, Re the mutilation murders. Inquiries are to be made as a matter of urgency on Monday the 2nd instant at all dry cleaning establishments in the metropolitan area Oh, with regard to any blood-stained clothing handed in. All proprietors of these establishments are to be requested to contact police immediately upon receipt of any blood-stained clothing whatsoever. Any information should be referred to the reception officer or number three division detectives. Okay. Now... April 1st. That's April Fool's Day. It is, but... I know that's not pertinent. It's just a... a, Yeah, but what I'd like the listeners to do is to just put that little snippet away for a while. Just tuck it tuck it somewhere nice and safe. Okay. And we may or may not come back to that, which is yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a teaser perhaps. Um so then the police the the, the, the then premier of the day decided that this was just getting out of control mm-hmm. and he offered a a very big reward and that's when you start offering rewards, yeah. you start getting lots and lots of people just sending well, in. Oh. Remember when we dealt with the Black Dahlia and most of the... Uh, the um, what's, the what's the opposite of redacted? Unredacted? 
de- declassified. So as you all know, the FBI declassified their case files around the Black Dahlia murders. And Dad and I were basically presented with, I believe, a 150-page PDF of literally just unclassified, uh, declassified, sorry, you know, uh, not just newspaper reports, but also transcripts of phone calls and leads because they opened up a hotline and every single person came out of the woodwork. And a lot of the time it's it's useless, right? Um, I know. I know. You really risk, when you, when you open things to the public, you really risk a deluge. Uh, and I'm guessing the kind of mass hysteria from things like caricatures in the newspapers yes. and the fact that there's a guy going around cutting people's penises off and leaving mm. them for dead. That is terrifying. I know, I know. Um, the police received information from Melbourne that a, a young German migrant on a Greek ship called the Patris or Patrice, uh-huh. that he was on board and, and, and was leaving the country. He was heading for Athens. And the police somehow or other in Sydney, bearing in mind we're talking, you know, telephone calls and faxes, they got the police in Melbourne to go down to the the wharves and they actually stopped this ship from leaving Australia for several Whoa. hours. They went on board and they got this guy and they interviewed him for hours until they could basically prove that it was not him. So these these leads were coming in, you know. They were just it was intense, and the and the police had to deal with so much stuff. And I'd like to read something to you, Paul. And this is a sort of a you know how they they profile particular people. Yeah. Um. They they got the leading government psychiatrist. Um, McGeorge, sort of, yeah, yeah, to give an opinion, yeah. to give an opinion. And can I read out what he said? Yeah, please do. And this is information that is given to all the police. Did he have much of a CV in this kind of stuff? He was a, I mean, okay, so he's a psychiatrist who works for the government. Does he have experience in uh, in the kind of criminal field at all? Um, well. What, what, what was his actual area of expertise? I'm just very curious because when you get somebody to profile a killer, I read that he consulted with an expert in England who Correct. was an expert on this kind of stuff. Yes. I guess I guess that sort of helps. But mm. please go on, read the read. Well, the he, well, he he was consulting with a, a particular doctor in England who was the foremost authority on mutilation murders. I mean, what a thing to be an authority on! It's just weird. Okay, so firstly, he said that the offender was a psychopath and would be male. He said he would continue to do the same thing with increased rapidity. He would be at least 30 years of age. Interesting. He could well have ejaculated during the infliction of the stab wounds and could have inflicted them to achieve that purpose. Possibly not a homosexual, although probably a sex pervert of some sort. Remember, listeners, we're using the the wording that was used in the early 60s. He was now in the final stages of sadism, in the extreme, and he would previously have gone through other forms in the previous years. Isn't that fascinating? I don't think it's kind of... I don't find this rocket science, do you, Paul? Is that because we've been doing these podcasts for five years and we just sort of, you know, we we kind of get the... The gist? Yeah, you do. You do. 
Look, I will say this much, and listeners, you are all experts on true crime by this point. Malcolm Gladwell said you need to spend 10,000 hours on a thing to be an expert. Um, you have all clearly clocked that. So when you hear these things about this killer, none of it surprises you. I mean, of course, as Dad mentioned, there's some pretty dated vernacular. But apart from that, it, it makes it makes sense to me. Um, in fact, Dad, uh, the detectives who were running this case after they got McGeorge's summation actually got a updated summation on the victim, like a profile, which they collated together from a bunch of psychiatrists mm. around Sydney who were all experts. Yeah. This one's a bit more detailed, and this one... Can I read this one? Yes, love it. Okay, and this uh, obviously this will expand on those points we just read. Mm. Mm. So here we go. The offender was a psychopath, probably a schizophrenic, and possibly paranoid, and most definitely male. Uh, this bit I don't know about. He would be a homosexual or a referred ho- or reformed homosexual or one on the brink of commencing as a homosexual. He would be under 40 years of age, the main reason for this statement being that after that age, the sexual instincts tend to diminish. He would continue to do the same thing in the future. He may come to the police station to assist the police or to inquire as to the progress of the investigation or to make suggestions as to how it should be conducted. He would be a quiet, reserve type, probably well-educated, cold, remote, solitary, possibly in a good job. What's funny is at a point here, it's starting to sound like a horoscope where it sort of applies to such a broad swath that it will sound right. Possibly a crank, such as a health crank, etc. What does that mean? Um, great question. In that context, I don't understand. I'll keep reading. The offender would be mostly normal, or if not entirely normal, the abnormality would not be readily seen. He might suffer from some sexual inferiority, but would not necessarily have any abnormal sexual physical condition. He would obtain his sexual fulfillment before cutting off his victim's organs, and if someone came upon him, whilst he was seized with his frenzy, he would be very dangerous, but he would become very docile after it had passed. Lastly, most doctors agreed that he would not be a person treated in a mental institution because the methods adopted are entirely divorced from the actions of a schizophrenic, who would perhaps commit such an offence, but on the spur of the moment and without prior thought. There were good reasons for believing that he was a schizophrenic type because such persons had been known to injure their own penis whilst experiencing a bout of mental illness. Uh, I mean, there were also some shrinks who kind of said, look, it's basically impossible to say anything about this person until we've actually caught the guy. But, you know, these profiles are always very, um, you know, I guess they seem useful retroactively. I don't know how useful they are in actually catching the guy. I mean, one of the what, Paul, one of the interesting letters that came through that it was a theory that I won't go, I won't read the whole letter, but it was just this is a theory that he was a trapeze artist. What? Yeah, there was a letter that came. It said that um, you know the mutilator was a trapeze artist because of his ability and agility, and different reasons were given. A very official letter was received from the minister of religion, who stated that he believed a member of his congregation was the man responsible, with a feasible reason for believing so. I mean, there were so many... There were letters from ex-wives. You can imagine those ones coming through. Yeah. There were letters from parents. There were people that had grudges. Think about that. You don't like someone. What a great opportunity to shaft someone anonymously. There were also hoax hoax letters and calls from people claiming to be the mutilator because at this point, I think the papers had already called him the mutilator. So, Mm. And I think that's one of those tricky things where I go... Is it wise giving these killers kind of a cool name? Because really that does sort of feed that ego stroke that they get. But let's cut forward to 1962 on the 16th of November. Mm. There was a complaint made to the Concord Council Chambers. Okay, Paul. Yes. 
What did we talk about a few minutes ago? Did we talk about a few minutes ago? About dry cleaning. Oh, shit. Yep, okay, go on. Well, a complaint is received at, yes, the, from con- a- at the Concord Council Chambers, okay? Yeah, so it's... it's- you know, people contact an, the council for a bad, for a bad smell. Noise complaints, all kinds of things. But, yep. but in this case, it's an, it's a smell coming from... Uh, there is a dry cleaners uh, on Burwood Road in Concord. Dad, I don't actually know where Concord is. Where is it? It's um, kind of almost in a west of Sydney. It's right. it's actually quite a quite a good area. How far is it from the other murders where they were committed? Oh, it's 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 ten k, fifteen k. It's it's not connected. Right. No, ten kilometers. It's not. It's it's nowhere near. My problem is, of course, Tegan and I walk so far each day. Oh, true, oh no, ten k. No, no, is this, this is decent, more probably probably maybe fifteen. It's a fair way away. Okay. It's really got nothing to do with that. You don't, you would never connect it. Okay. So the inspector that the council sends gets to this dry cleaners, and there's a little, you know, someone usually lives out the back, right? Correct. Uh, out the back of the shop. Mm. Um, do they find a body? Paul, they find, and this is a great word, they find the putrefying remains Yuck. of a man who was barely recognisable. So now, I know exactly what that means. Right. I have, I have dealt. I have identified successfully and attempted to identify remains in that terrible advanced state of decomposition. Where the body can almost become, depending on the on on the environment, sometimes it can look like sort of a a jelly with some bones in it that's been dropped from a plane and just hit the footpath. You paint a picture, Dad. Thank you. Um, but this particular person was in the nude, okay, and. But it was wearing socks. And close to the body was the clothing. Shirt, singlet, suit coat, trousers, belt, and weirdly, a tea towel. Okay? And this is when it sort of gets really weird, Paul. It was a very, very tiny, tiny area and quite difficult to get into. But it looked, it, the sense was that the body had been dragged into this particular position mm-hmm. and it was just treated, you know, it, they, they thought there was foul play involved. Okay, so Dad, the lease at the laundromat was held by a guy called Alan Edward Brennan. What I'm doing is I'm actually looking through the case files and realizing that we have so much more to deal with in this case. I mean, this this is a complex it's, story. Yeah. And actually, the fourth victim is where it gets really, really weird. The yeah. call to investigate the laundromat where they find the remains. This is a truly, truly complex part of the case. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause it here this week. We're going to go Good. and do a Good. part three next week. Because frankly, this is where the case gets super complex. So we're going to need to probably spend an episode focusing on this because really it's very, very grim. But uh, the mystery gets a lot deeper and a lot stranger here. So 
That is all the time we have for this week's episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Make sure, if you haven't already done so, I mean, I don't know why I have to tell people to go back and listen to part one of a three-parter, but everyone's done that anyway. So uh, next week, we're going to deal with part three of this story. We're going to look into the strange case of the weird smell and the remains found at this laundromat. And then we're going to kind of probably get to the point of an arrest because it does happen and it's weird mm. as hell. It's it's just, it's truly weird. And it is weird. Paul, um, a little teaser for you and the listeners. Sure, go ahead. When people listen to part three of The Mutilator next week, mm-hmm. I guess where I'll be. Where? I'll be in London. We will record part yeah. three of The Mutilator. In London. In London. Interesting. And, um... Hopefully, I can put on a bit of an English accent. Dad, the day you put on an accent, like a foreign accent, is the day I think our listener base will double. So I look forward to that. All right. Love it. Well, we will see you very, very soon, actually, at the end of the week uh, for a brand new episode of Loose Ends. But in the meantime, thank you so much for listening to another episode of Loose Units, The Shadow Files. Have a great week, and we'll see you soon. Cheerio. Bye-bye.